Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bible to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7. Well, last time, we ended with an interesting turn of events. You see, King David was sitting in his palace. He's established his kingdom. His reign over the nation of Israel is secure. He has had victory over his enemies. And he is looking around and he says, man, I am dwelling in this grand house in my capital city. Everything I've wanted has been achieved. And then I look over there and I see the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, where the ark of the presence of God dwells. And it's just in this shabby little tent. That's not right. God should not have his presence dwell in a house grander than mine. It's interesting that David never considers a lesser house. His solution is just to build a bigger building for God. That's interesting. That's something to think about. Anyway, he says, uh, hey, I'd like to do this. And he tells the prophet Nathan, and the prophet Nathan says, yeah, sure, go for it. But then that night, God speaks to Nathan and said, Nathan, you just spoke out of what you thought sounded good. You weren't speaking for me. And he says, you tell David he is not to build me a house. You tell David that if I wanted a house, I would have said I wanted a house. You tell David that in all the the hundreds and hundreds of years that the ark of the presence of God has traveled among the people of Israel. I have never said to their rulers, build me a grand house out of cedar. But David, I'm going to build you a house out your kingdom will be established. You see, Saul, his descendants did not sit on the throne. The reign of Saul was one generation. His children did not take the throne of Israel. David, your children will. Your grandchildren will. Your descendants will reign on the throne of Israel. And one of those descendants will be one for whom the reign will never end. Verse 14 of chapter 7, God says, I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men. Excuse me. Uh, Wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Now that is an interesting question. When he does wrong. And you have to ask, Okay, well, is that saying that Jesus sinned? When we come to the Bible, well, let me rephrase that. When we come to specific parts of the Bible, and then we read something that goes, wait a minute, that sounds wrong. The question you have to ask yourself is, am I going to take one verse that seems to be out of context or out of place from every other thing I've ever read in the Bible, and then I'm going to build everything I believe on it? Or am I going to take the rest of the Bible and say that dominant uh, message is going to be the message that I grab onto? Well, then are you saying, well, are you then just disagreeing with the parts of the uh, Bible that, you know, disagrees with you that, that, that is a contradiction? No. But what I'm saying is, before I jump to any conclusion, what I'm saying is, before I I come to a place where I say, oh, well, this must mean this, I'm going to pause and I'm going to say, wait a minute. I'm going to say, wait a minute. Everything else I know from the Bible says the opposite. So something else must be going on here. Now, this... uh, 
this word uh, that's used, you know, that it says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that it says when he does wrong is this word avwa. I'm not saying it right. I, I took a lot more Greek than Hebrew. Avwa or ava. And, and it does mean that. So the, the, what I would say here is this. The Bible is 100% true, but it is not always 100% clear. So it is possible that there's a word being used that contextually would have made more sense then than it does now. It's also possible that, that Nathan was just giving David what God had given him, but they were understanding it. It's also possible that what it means is when he becomes evil, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that as Nathan is getting this download from God, he understands that this ruler will become sin. And he understands it as when he sins. That could be what's going on. Uh, I'm not interested in so much in saying, like, I'm going to try to like make an excuse for this as to say, this is a, a verse where we go, wait a minute, what's that about? Everything else seems to fit, beaten with rods, flogged. Uh, and yet there is this verse. So it could be two things. It could be that Nathan is misunderstanding. It could be that Nathan is just trying to express what he is getting from God in the, in the way that he can understand it. It could be that since there is, we've talked about this before, but there, in the Bible and the prophecy, there's first and full fulfillment, there's first, or there's partial and there's full fulfillment, or there's this idea of sort of continuing patterns of fulfillment. And the, the idea is that you see these things prophesied about it, and then you see things that are kind of that and kind of that and kind of that, and then you really see, oh, that's it. And so it could be that what Nathan is saying to David is, hey, your kids will do wrong, but I'm not taking my love away from your family the way that I did for Saul's. And then ultimately, when your descendant Jesus becomes sin, he will not be rejected because his sacrifice will be accepted. That's where I'm at with that. And David responds, it says, verse 18, that he responded and went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, sovereign Lord? What is my family that you have brought me this far? As if it were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is, a mere, is for a mere human? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the, now, I, why is David saying sovereign Lord over and over again? If you're, you ever been around somebody who's praying and they're just like, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord Jesus. Like for all that you do, Lord Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord Jesus, for everything that you do, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much, Jesus, Lord, for everything. And it's like, how many times can you say a variation of Jesus, Lord, or Lord Jesus in a single sentence. You ever met that? And I think what happens is we're just praying these things and some people are just so used to saying it that it's this thing you don't even think about. And sometimes we have filler words like, um, mm, or you have a tick. Uh, I used to have this really bad tick. I try to avoid it, but I picked it up as I was beginning to preach and I would pause for my brain to catch up with what I was saying. And then I would go, and then I would continue. And I had to work really hard to stop that, to be able to pause to be comfortable with that quick second of silence because it used to be I would go, 
yeah, let's move on. And that, t- oh man, that tick was annoying. And so it could be, you think, oh, is David just repeating over? I think this, the way that it is presented is this is written as a song. And so this is a refrain. The sovereign Lord is this refrain throughout this written song, written prayer that he has put down in the archives. He says in verse 21, For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There was no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken with the blessing of the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Now, That is David's song or written prayer. He is responding in worship, and he's just wondering, hey, what have I done to come this far? And you're going to do these things. And look at your people. What did we do? We were in obscurity, and you brought us out of slavery, and we're now your own people. Thank you. God acts, and David responded. Worship is sometimes a response that God has initiated. First and foremost, that Jesus came and redeemed us from sin and death with his own blood and that he conquered sin and death and he rose victorious over the grave and that propels me to worship God. Sometimes worship is an act of faith because there are things in faith where David says, like, I've received this from you, but in faith I'm going to believe it. We sang a song recently on a Sunday morning, and afterwards, someone in the church said, you know, it was really hard for me to sing. And I said, it was hard for me to sing too. I think they were a little surprised. But I I said, the reason we sang that song this morning is because I needed to sing that song in faith. Because there are things that are easy for me to believe, things that are not. And so David is rejoicing in, in all the things that God is saying and doing, but I think there's also this, Lord... I'm trusting you to do these things that you've said to me. And when we come together in worship, especially through song, sometimes it's just in response to everything that God has done. And sometimes it's in faith, choosing to believe that God will keep the promises he has given. Chapter one, verse, or chapter 8, verse 1 says, In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and he took uh, Methleg, Amma from the control of the Philistines, he defeated the Moabites and made them lie down on the ground and measure them off with the length of cord, and every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third was allowed to live, so the Moabites became subject to David and brought him tribute. Yeah, that doesn't sound great, does it? We would classify what's going on here as a war crime. Um, and honestly, like when you hear about what's going on in the Ukraine and that Russian soldiers are doing, 
it's some of it sounds like this. I am not interested from a distance in condemning a past generation or an ancient generation other than to say that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all of us need Jesus and this world is broken. And they might look at us and say, sure, we did that, but what do you do? And they might say this and this and this. We would never do that. So we have to have a humility about ourselves when we look at the past to say, you know what? I'm thankful we're not about that. I also want to be humble and recognize where we need the grace of God. Verse 3 says, Moreover, David defeated uh, Hadarazar, son of Rehob, the king of Zoah, when he went down to restore his monument at the Euphrates River. Uh, David captured a thousand of his chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers, and he hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadarazar, the king of Zoab, David struck down 22,000 of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of the Hazarezer and brought them to Jerusalem. From Taba and Berathai, towns that belonged to Hadarezer, David took a great quantity of bronze. When two, king of Hamath, heard that David defeated the entire army of Hadarezer, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadarezer, who had been at war with two. Joram brought with him articles of silver and gold and bronze. David dedicated these articles to the Lord as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations that he had subdued, Edom and Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and Amalek. And he dedicated the plunder taken from Hadarezer, son of Rehob, king of Zoab. David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David, and the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. This is a record of David's military victories. Um, he was being you know, prospered by God. He was collecting all of these things. Remember, though, that all of these things that David collected were then plundered from Jerusalem by the Babylonians, and they were taken to Babylon. It was gutted. You might think, oh, man, they have, I have this stuff. I've got all this stuff, and it's all here, and it could all go away tomorrow. This is all temporary. It's all fleeting. And we could say, oh, look how great we are. Look what we have. The only thing that has never changed is God. His truth, his love for us, his victory, his holiness, those things have never changed. These other things come and go. You know, here's this King Hadarezer who's so powerful. You know, David got him when he was on his way to restore a monument to himself. And it's all taken away from him. And then David gets all these things. And he says, oh, look how great we are. And it's all taken away. Verse 15, David reigned over Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahluab, was the recorder. Zadok, son of Ahiatub, and Ahimelech, son of Abathar, were priests. Zariah was secretary. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Ketherites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. Uh, now, when it says the sons were priests, um, it could also mean chief officials. It's, it's kind of like um, the mandarins of, the, uh, of, of ancient China. Um, 
and and the and it, it's sometimes vague. Is somebody a priest? Is somebody a chief official? Is somebody a governor or is somebody a secretary? Sometimes these words get interchangeably. I think it's probably more fair to say that his children uh, were high officials as opposed to priests. Um, it wouldn't make sense for David's kids to be priests in in that sense. And in the middle of all of this success, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 9, said, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David's have all, all this success, all of this establishing and wealth and everything's built up. And then he says, you know what? I made a promise to my best friend, Jonathan, that I would look after his family. And he remembers that promise. He doesn't forget. He, he remembers those who are in need. I was... You know, we don't talk about a lot of the, what's called benevolence kind of stuff that the church does. Um, but, you know, there, there are people out there who have great need. And we can forget, you know, we get so tracked in things. And so, so every, you know, so often I, I come to face to face with people that are in real serious crisis, real serious need. And uh, it's always a good reminder of that. And so David looks around and he, he says, what can I do for the family of Jonathan. And verse two, now there was a servant of Saul's house named Ziba and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service, he replied. And the king said, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul in whom I can show God's kindness? Now Ziba is probably a little bit worried when he gets summoned to the king because he survived. You know, a lot of times in these ancient cultures, change of monarchy means anyone connected with the old king is killed. Ziba has lived and now he gets brought before the king. Oh, but now it's, hey, is there anyone left from Saul's house? And David isn't being picky. He's not saying it has to be a son of Jonathan. He just says, is there anyone left from Saul's house? Because he knows that a lot of them died. And, and, and there was war and there was civil war. And he's not expecting to find somebody from Jonathan's family directly, his immediate family. But maybe there's a cousin, a nephew, a, a, a niece, somebody who I can show kindness to to fulfill my vow. And Ziba says, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. He is in the house of Machil, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. So David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, the son of Emil. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. You got to think he's scared. If you're the only remaining son of the prince, the grandson of the former king, you are in theory a threat to the current king because somebody could raise you up as a figurehead against in a rebellion. And David knows this and he says, do not be afraid, verse 7, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul that you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said to him, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson will be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now you might think, oh man, this is rough. You know, David's making this guy a slave or something. This is setting Ziba up. If, if you live in sort of this semi-feudal system uh, and you become the, the chief over a 
you know, a noble's lands, you are going to live very well. So this is a blessing to Zeba for his faithfulness and his honesty. This is a blessing to Mephibosheth, the last descendant of Saul and Jonathan. This is David doing good to somebody who he could, by rights, do wrong to. Uh, Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at the table of David like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. So even though he, he was restricted, especially in an ancient culture, without all of the modern uh, advantages that people who have physical disabilities have, he was given a place of honor, protection. And it was because, not of who he was, but because of who his father and his grandfather were. And it's that sort of thing where we say, why do we have the blessings of God? Why is it that we are brought to eat at the king's table? In fact, in Revelation 19, there's speaking of a a feast that the church will have at the table of the king. And, and, And why is it that we have all that we have been given? It has nothing to do with us. It has to do with who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has given to us. And in this way, we are reminded, just as David gave blessing to people who had no right to it in and of themselves, Jesus gives blessing to all of us, even though we have not done nothing to deserve it. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, video versions on our Facebook page. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on Instagram and Facebook. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And we'll see you again next time for another 20-minute Bible study.